Hey everyone, and welcome to this week's On the Spot. I'm here with J.P. Hampstead, as always, our Director of Passport Research, and I'm Zach Strickland. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about what has happened in this week's freight market. J.P.? Uh, so overall, contracted truckload volumes are still going down, although um, the sort of the pace of the decline has significantly slowed. Um, feels like we're kind of getting into a trough area. We're pulling up a little bit, as it were, on the yeah. outbound tender volumes. I mean, we're still down uh, double digits year over year. I yeah, mean, yeah. We're, we're not going up, but I, yeah. I just mean that the... It's not going down as fast. <laughs> yeah, it's it's less suck, if you will. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I think that's largely due to the, just to the fact that most of the parts of the economy that are going to be shut down have, have been shut down. Uh, um, do, you, do you think that there's going to be, you know, the longer we stay shut down, do you not think that there will be some sort of gradual trickle uh, of volume, uh, you know, depending on whenever we do decide to start turning things back on, it, you don't you think it'll still continue to go back down a little bit? I don't know that that's the case. Um, I was, you know, obviously you saw the kind, of the you know, the sort of bullish call that uh, Craig made the other uh, earlier this week, right. um, kind of about you know, sort of sometime in May things getting a lot better. Um, and we talked on the phone about that piece. And one of the kind of ideas that we have about the shape or the character of this of this recovery is that it might be led by industrial side volumes. The idea that it's not going to be necessarily led by consumers just all of a sudden getting their mojo back and going out and spending money, but it's going to be led by uh, manufacturing facilities returning to production and returning to work, they need raw materials and parts stocked in order to, you know, for the employees to have something to you know, work on and, and make. And therefore, you're going to see those orders kind of come in ahead or, you know, slightly ahead of um, uh, consumption. People going, no, well, people coming back to work and then, of course, consumption later on. Right. So, that that's going to be an interesting thing where to keep our eye on is sort of because um, most of the time in in the U.S. consume the consumer leads everything right? right so the consumer spends a lot the economy produces more um, if the consumer stops spending eventually the economy produces less but in this case when you talk about like a cold restart of the economy it might actually be led by the other side um, so that's that's something that we're thinking about. Um, that you know that could be pretty interesting, and that could happen sooner rather than later, even prior to like um, you know widespread uh, reopenings. Yeah, no, I like that. I mean, especially considering the fact that we're seeing you know imports they're returning to normal levels. Uh, you know, it may not feel like it essentially yet, but you know we are seeing you know we're we're about at the same level that we were on import shipments uh, as February 11th which was right at the very beginning of this downturn you know involved with Chinese new year and whatnot so that's a that's a pretty interesting theory in terms of you know industrial production will they have the raw materials to start producing things but again what that may do to capacity uh, in the in the near term is you're going to have these little isolated pockets of yeah. you know extra shipments coming through out of certain isolated areas. So I think that's a good Yeah, and there are definitely point. markets that are really underperforming now, um, sort of underperforming their own benchmarks that should snap. So the research we did this week, a lot of it, what we were looking at was sort of um, this idea that was floated by one of uh, our Passport members in last week's webinar about sort of whether 
volumes were becoming increasingly concentrated as we fade off that peak and then, of course, go negative um, in terms of volumes. We looked at that. It's true that volumes are concentrating slightly. The top five, mar the top 25 markets taking share, top five markets especially, bottom 50 losing share, um, kind of makes sense. Uh, but we also looked at what are some like emerging opportunities, some, some important markets that are sort of underperforming themselves a lot, right? That are, are that are also poised to kind of snap back. What are what are some of those markets? Um, we looked at you know so Los Angeles for one, um, especially given the improving situation around imports, uh, Joliet. Um, Joliet has really had a soft soft yeah. uh, twelve month cycle too. Right. So they really, they've been hit. And a lot hard. of it is, a lot of it is because of the weakness in intermodal. Um, but uh, we think that that'll be a market that that'll probably recover a little bit later. Um, you know, LA first, probably maybe then um, Detroit, which is actually you know underperforming for obvious reasons. They're talking about getting the um, automakers back online uh, in May. So uh, I think right now they're about thirty three percent negative year over year. And that you know that situation stands to significantly improve really well, we quickly. That, we already saw that happen, uh, you know, at late 2019 when they had the the strike up there. Volumes dramatically dropped, like out of nowhere, and then all of a sudden, uh, late October, early November, volumes come screaming back. Uh, tightens capacity pretty significantly up there. Yeah. So the kind of those three Midwest markets. Um, well, sorry, uh, L.A., Juliet, and uh, Detroit. Those kind of those those three markets are um, the ones that we think that you know we're going to keep our eye on. We're going to look at the data, and eventually it'll be a really good opportunity, probably for both uh, asset-based carriers and brokers. Now, what do you think of the concept of the smaller market, like the smaller guy out there? Of course, there's there's going to be these markets out that are sitting out there. I think I've been discussing with people this week about Eau Claire. Uh, have seen pretty significant spot market activity amidst everything coming down, rates being low, uh, involving reefer demand. Uh, yeah, you know a lot of there, there's a lot of these isolated pockets where we're seeing you know these little small instances, and I I don't know the full reason why, but one of my theories is the fact that there's all this imbalance in the market now since freight demand is really softened to the point. I mean we're 17 percent down. Well, we're over 17% down year over year at this point, um, but we're at an 8,300 level on the OTBI. This is normally a value seen uh, as we're entering like a holiday period. Like, <laughs> and actually like a major holiday period. Yeah. Not, not, we're beyond like the Memorial Day level. Right. We're, like in, we're in like Christmas week level. Yeah, which, which is significant. So, I mean, what that means is that, uh, you know, 17% of the freight that you were used to getting is now no longer there, and it's very one-sided. So these factories, these facilities that were producing a lot of these materials, they're shut down because they're non-essential uh, or whatever. And then you have a lot of freight moving into these major metro areas, consumer-driven type stuff right. for you know the essential goods, the medical supplies and whatnot. Um, and what that does is it leaves these smaller areas really exposed because trucks have no reason to go there. That's right. And, and so like sending um, refrigerated equipment into these obscure markets that don't have a lot of outbound freight can be very expensive. Now, right. the question is whether those sorts of 
local um, anomalies or you know pockets of tightness are really enough to uh, fight the larger trend of just abundant capacity and you know the fact that there isn't enough freight for the number of trucks that are on the road. That, that's kind of another question, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, really, what the way that most freight networks operate is you have this kind of hub and spoke. Sentiment, and then you have in between those hubs, you have different longer haul moves. You know, like Los Angeles to Dallas, Dallas to Atlanta. Then Atlanta goes to Birmingham, Nashville, Lakeland, Charlotte. Uh, Most of the moves from Atlanta go to those major metro areas because they're distribution hubs uh, for major, you know, distributors, uh, food warehouses, all of it. They they all have this sort of hub and spoke. Uh, look to them because that's how they most efficiently are able to supply the freight where it yep. needs to go. Yep. Um, so whenever you see a lot of freight going from Atlanta to Charlotte, and then Charlotte doesn't produce anything anymore because it's a consumer market, that truck gets stuck up in Charlotte. Now those are pretty large markets, but you also have like the Chicago to Eau Claire. <laughs> where does it go from there? You're now going to have to deadhead as a carrier to get to Minneapolis or Milwaukee or somewhere that has some semblance of freight volume. And I think we're seeing those networks deteriorate right. a little bit. Right. And so that, and that's, that's, you know, implies that carriers that are managing for asset utilization will try to keep their trucks kind of bouncing between major markets, which is going to, you know, I would think have the effect of oversupplying those markets and driving tender rejections down even further, even below the national average. Yeah, in theory, that's that's what should happen uh, over time, and we are we are seeing uh, a little bit of hesitancy on the tender rejection rate. Not a lot. Um, it is it is falling, but reefer side. I mean, we're below four percent. Yeah, it, but the reefer side is is having a little bit more resilience. As we as we noticed, the uh, outbound tender volume index for reefer actually went up today. Yeah, it, it's gone up twice in the past like week. I want to say on. Yeah. Uh, along with volumes, um, so yeah, like ROTVIY, the sort of year-over-year change in reefer volumes is still up double digits, right? Um, which is really healthy, and you know, kind of consistent with our view that there's been, even though there's been a mix shift from sort of restaurant to grocery, that people are stocking up. Um, they're, they're buying things, they're eating a lot more in the home, they've got kids at home, they've got college students at home, um, and, you know, the restaurants are closed. It, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I think it's interesting, too, um, there's been a lot of reports, of, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this, there's been a lot of reports about difficulties in the meat supply chain. Right. Um, whether it's, you know, shortages or or outages of, of meat, whether it's um, sort of issues of network fluidity in meat supply chains. I kind of want to hear, I have some thoughts, but I kind of want to hear your, your take on what might be behind some of those issues. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I didn't deal a lot with the, the meat side of anything in my previous life, but, right. you know, when you're dealing with any kind of perishable good, we dealt with several reefer carriers. Uh, they are a lot more exposed at this point in time, especially depending on what they did with their backhaul situations, because a lot of that meat goes into one area and they have a single source. So it's a very, it's almost a dedicated flow of freight that they're, they're providing a it lot makes of sense that. Because in, in food, food volumes are quite stable. Yes. So, so they can almost sense. rely on that uh, volume. And, and to that point, like the rates aren't as volatile. 
uh, you see a lot more stability there. Now, in recent times, though, they're not, they still rely on some form of outside force bringing their, you know, their trucks back to where they need to be because most of the meat originates in the Central America, uh, Central Plains region, uh, right. Nebraska, uh, Arkansas. Uh, that area right there has, I think, you know, the majority of what we eat. Yeah, um, sitting right there. So, yeah. And there's not a ton of freight moving into those markets. So they really have to be particular about what they move in there because you can't simply have a, a meat trailer and then all of a sudden you're hauling chemicals back. <laughs> you know, that's that's yeah, not how that some, works. Yeah, that's yeah. not up. Um, I've, I've also, I saw, I saw some reports that were pretty interesting saying like we have the meat, we just don't have like, we can't ramp up throughput in our facilities very well. Like, like the, the the way these facilities are designed, it's not like e-commerce, which has, for example, lots of small, easily handled parcels with long shelf lives that can be manipulated by robots and people pretty much equally, and just thrown on a conveyor belt and like that. Like when you're talking about like frozen meat, you're talking about an environment where um, things are difficult to handle. Um, where robots don't actually function in, in, in freezing cold environments, and it's also regulated. Yeah, it's highly <laughs> regulated. It's much hard, and, and and furthermore, um, these supply chains aren't really built to flex up and down. Um, Not at like all. Like you said, most of their capacity is dedicated. So they, you know, it's it's not necessarily like. There, there are like food shortages or things like that. It's more, it's more that there are some supply chains that are sort of built for volatility, and some that aren't. Yeah, no, this is definitely one of those type of industries that they 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 have a certain amount that they have a throughput for. They cannot change that throughput up or down very significantly without. And if you have a limited shelf life, like you can't build inventory in anticipation, you have less flexibility. Yeah, and and it's just increasingly difficult for people to uh, manage any kind of fluctuation there. I don't know, uh, you know, we saw the pork plant shut down here recently mm -hmm. up in the Dakotas. Uh, right. You know, I haven't seen any significant disruptions there in my store, but <laughs> at the same time, these these are things that are going to have ripple effects throughout time. Uh, we'll see more of that more than likely. Uh, well, John Paul, I think that wraps it up for this week. I don't know if uh, next week we'll have good news to report or not. You got any thoughts? Uh, <laughs> you know, it'll be. I, I, I expect that um, the decline of arms will continue to slow down, if not bottom. Hopefully, by the next time we see each other, Zach. All right, well, that'll do it for this week's. Be sure to check out any other videos on uh, the coronavirus update. Our podcasts are, of course, available on our website as well. And stay tuned for more updates from FreightWaves.